Shemashiah, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, became king. He was 25 years old when he became <coughs> king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. He removed the high places and broke down the sacred pillars and cut down the ashram. He also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days the sons of Israel burned incense to it, and it was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and his territory from watchtower to fortified city. There is more space in Kings about Hezekiah than any other king except for Solomon. Hezekiah is an important king. And um, what all does he do? He tore down the high places, which every other king did good, but did not take down the high places. Yes, that is major. Last, there was a king that came on the scene that dealt with the issue of the high places and the God's intention that the worship be centralized in Jerusalem from Deuteronomy 12. That is really big, because how many times have we seen somebody who reformed, but not the high places? What else did he do? Broken pieces of the bronze serpent. What was the bronze serpent? It was the one Moses made. Antidote for snake bite. Exactly. And God wanted Moses to make this bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and people looked at it, they'd be healed from the bites of those snakes God had sent in to destroy them. So, why did he need to break this bronze serpent in pieces? Moses started worshipping it. Yeah. Wow. That's wild, isn't it? You know, it had become a stumbling block because they were using it the wrong way. And so he turns it into scrap metal. Could we ever do that? We don't have a bronze serpent, but... No, but we got the Lord's Supper. And we got the attendance, and we've got uh, our giving, and we've got... <laughs> yeah. It really, we could look almost superstitiously at any of those things. Um, what about the cross? Anybody ever uh, bow down to an image of Jesus on a cross? <laughs> you know? I mean, that, wouldn't that be the same thing? I mean, does the, did the cross have a role? Is it an important role? Absolutely. You know, was the bronze serpent, you know, an important uh, thing in Israelite history? Did they need to look at it to be healed of the snake bite back there uh, in wherever that was? I've forgotten at the moment. But, uh, yeah, they did. Numbers 21, I think. Um, but but that doesn't give them the right to suddenly worship it. Well, think about what people do with the cross, and 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 you know, when uh, when a, a Catholic you know enters the uh, the sanctuary, what do they do? They do a little bow to the image of Christ on the cross in the front, you know, kind of bowing down before him, and oh, maybe when they come up to their pew or whatever before they sit in. 
And, and that's just, that's the same kind of an idea. The cross is good, but not as an instrument of worship. So, and, and, and we certainly can take institutions and worship them. Uh, you know, the bronze serpent was given by God. Do so you think, well, you, it'd be okay because God gave the bronze serpent, but God didn't give the bronze serpent for that purpose. We have to use the things God gives for the purposes he gives them. It's amazing how people can pervert even things of God to some kind of a purpose God never intended. So Hezekiah dealt with that. Thoughts or comments about that one, For uh, by the way, that's kind of an unusual event. If we were to go in and tear down a cross in a Catholic place, that would be pretty well taken. Everyone would think we're going against God. And probably the same there. They're probably thinking him taking down the serpent, that he's going against God. So it's even hard among the religious people as well as the people who are worshipping it. Well, not just the serpent. What about those high places? And and later, we're going to see where the Assyrians try to make political hay with that. They claim that Hezekiah won't be able to get God's help because he's uh, opposed him by taking down the high places. Well, they probably said that because they knew there, so, so there were some Jews who felt the same way. They felt really insecure. You know, what's God going to do to us now that he's taken down the high places? Good point. Um, so, in general, what kind of a king was Hezekiah? Very good. Yeah, he really was. He, he did right. Uh, he did like David did. You know, some of the kings that we've seen earlier in Judah's history have done right for a while and then turned away. But he continues to, to do well. Really quite unusual. Um, uh, really uh, encouraging. He, he clung to the Lord in verse 6. He did not depart from following him. He kept the commandments. And so what did the Lord do for him? Blessed his battles and things like that? Yeah, gave him victories and battles, prospered him. Uh, you know, things go really well for him because he's really committed to the Lord. Who was his father? Ahaz. And how good was Ahaz? So what does that tell you about having a bad father? No excuse. Yeah. I mean, you know, is it good to have good parents? Well, absolutely. That's definitely a blessing. But it doesn't mean we have to do wrong if we've had bad parents. Uh, it's amazing to me that an Ahaz can produce a Hezekiah. Wow! The apple fell clear on the other side of the universe from that tree. All right, comments or questions on these first eight verses? All right, 9 to 16. Now in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. At the end of three years, they captured it in the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was captured. Then the king of Assyria carried, away, carried Israel away in the exile to Assyria, and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant. Even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they would neither listen nor do it. Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and seized them. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, was sent 
to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me whatever you impose on me, I will bear. So the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. Hezekiah gave them all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and all the treasuries of the king's house. At that time Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. So, in Hezekiah's kingship, that was when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom, and because they didn't obey God. So we're just kind of putting this in historical perspective here. Remember, you can't tell a story in total chronological order. So we've already seen, you know, Samaria fall. Now we sort of see it again from Judah's perspective. But he sort of tells us that to tell us the rest of the story. Not only did the Assyrians, uh, led by Sennacherib, conquer Israel, what else did they do? Came up against Judah. They did. And how did that go? Started taking cities. How many did they take? All, All of them. Them. Yeah. That was really not too good. Uh, Sennacherib in his inscriptions, refers to conquering 46 strong cities of Judah along with many villages. Now, I don't know how true that was. You can never totally trust a pagan ruler's annals, but he said that anyway. And, and this indicates he devastated the country of Judah. And, you know, that, that creates a problem for Hezekiah. What did Hezekiah do? Yeah. What did he say? You've done wrong and I'll give you whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm sorry I wronged you. I'm sorry. Just name your price, whatever you want. You know, anything to get you off my back. Uh, and what did Hezekiah end up doing to get the money paid? From the temple. Took it from the temple and from uh, the yeah. palace. Yeah, again. This temple, uh, you know, we're going to be down to, uh, you know, the floor joists pretty soon. <laughs> we haven't got much left. Um, it, 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 I had a note in my uh, outline. It has become common for Judah to deplete temple treasures to pay tribute to foreign oppressors. They do it all the time. But they shouldn't have done it. You know, he goes so far as to strip the temple doors and doorposts of the gold inlays to get enough gold to satisfy the Assyrian king. What do you think about Hezekiah doing that? Seems out of character. Yes. Was it right? No. Yeah, I think it was not. What should he have done? <coughs> yes, exactly. You trust in God. Don't try to come up with some human way of solving the problem, a human way that's even wrong. Turn to the Lord and trust in Him. That would not be so easy in this kind of precarious circumstance, but it would have been the right thing. So, that Hezekiah was not perfect. You know, he had his moments, and this was one of his moments. He would have probably been a lot better off not wetting the Assyrian king's appetite for more Judah gold and silver. 
comments and questions through 16. How many years did he reign? Um, you know, that is a complicated question. I think it says 29 in verse 2, so let's just go with that. Okay, since this was in the 14th, so this is like about halfway through. Yeah, the problem seems to be that Hezekiah, I believe, had a co-regency with his father Ahaz. So some dates are when he started reigning with Ahaz, and some dates are from when he started to reign himself. That's my opinion. Do you think this is closer to the end? Uh, yes, I do. This is about 701. But yeah, it was. Other thoughts? I kind of wonder how much gold is left in Solomon's palace that he built, and they're stripping down the Lord's temple yet. They have not mentioned taking out the gold from there. Yeah, I don't know. Of course they do here. There's some other places where they do. But I have no idea. You know, you wonder if there's a, you know, constant um, item in the budget for replacing uh, surrendered <laughs> gold and silver. <laughs> but his tax base has uh, definitely been depleted, too. You're right. With all the cities being captured. Yeah, things are bleak. You know, what do you do in a case like that? I mean, it's kind of like in risk. You get so outnumbered that you're just gone. That's what it looks like. Well, part of the gold that he took off, it says, like, he had put it on. <laughs> yeah. Verse 16. Right. Put it on, take it off. All right. Um, how about 17 to 27? Uh. <clears throat> the king of Assyria sent, uh, sent the Tartran... Um, the Rabbiseris and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out from them uh, to them uh, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, <coughs> and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to him, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, the broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Ju uh, Judah and Jerusalem, You shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, and make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then will you repulse a single captain among <coughs> how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it with, without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah, and said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my, servant, my master sent me to speak these words to your master and, and you, and not to all the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? He's uh, 
not a real refined kind of a speaker, you could say. But um, this, these are the officials that the Assyrian king has sent to talk to the officials of Judah. They're on the wall. Actually, where do they go to? by the conduit of the upper pool. Which is on the Fuller's Field Highway. Well, does that make, does that ring any bells with you guys? Good! What bell does it ring? <laughs> Isaiah. Inner bell. Yeah. Something. Isaiah something. Nine. Seven. Oh. Yes! That is where Isaiah met Hezekiah's father Ahaz. In Isaiah 7, 3, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and your son Shear Jashub, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. So, same exact place. Now, in that place in Isaiah, Isaiah said, Don't turn to Syria, trust God. They just, just God, God will, they were being threatened by a coalition from Israel and Syria. And that worried Ahaz, and he felt like he had to, you know, make some pact with some other nation. God said, just trust me, you know. And they didn't. And so, though this place comes back to haunt him. In the very same place, now the Assyrian, you know, ministers are threatening to wipe out Jerusalem. I think being at the same place really shows... Ahaz's foolish reliance on the Assyrians bore bad fruit in the next generation. Because now, like, they're turning against them. Exactly! You know, you he, he paid a lot of money to the Assyrians to invade Syria and Israel, and they conquered them. Well, what's the next, what's the next <laughs> country? They're not above double-crossing somebody when they want to. So, that's where they are. What does the Rabshaka say? Is Rabshaka like a term? Probably. I don't know that for sure, but probably. <coughs> kind of goes through a list of all the possible things they might be trusting in and refutes each one. Yes. <coughs> what do you think you're doing? What do you think is going to deliver you from who? Verse 19, say now to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, king, the king of Assyria. You know, he's the great king. He's trying to intimidate him. He's trying to use psychological warfare. You can't stand up to the great king, the king of Assyria. You know, so he's really trying to psych him out and to impress him with how great Sennacherib is so he will be, you know, just intimidating and, uh, intimidated into surrender. And then he used logic. He says, what do you think, what, what can you trust in to defeat me? Well, what were some possible things they might trust in? Egypt. Egypt. And what does he say about trusting in Egypt? It'll do more harm than good. Yeah, it's like a crushed reed. Now, you know what a reed is? Like a tall blade of grass, a little, little woody. Well, it's easy to break. And you lean on a crushed reed, what's the only thing it'll do? Just disintegrate. 
you know, it's not going to it's not going to hold you up. He said that's the way Egypt is. You think Egypt can save you? They're just some crushed reed. You know, trusting in Egypt will only hurt you. Was he right about that? You know, the the devil sometimes tells the truth just to deceive you. <laughs> you know, he's right about that. Don't trust in Egypt. What else did he say they shouldn't trust in? The Lord. The Lord, why not? Because he tore down in high places. You guys can't trust him. The Lord Hezekiah has been destroying his high places. You know, I would say that the, uh, the Assyrian king here has a good intelligence department, and he knows he's hitting a nerve with some of the people in Judah who are very insecure about the fact that uh, Hezekiah has been destroying the high places. They probably are worried that God's going to be out to get him. And so he's using these psychological manipulation don't trust in Egypt. Don't trust in God. What else should they not trust in? Twenty-three and twenty-four. Themselves. Themselves and their own strength. He says, "Look, I'll spot you two thousand horses, and I'll still whip you." If you had anybody to ride them, you know, I don't know if you got anybody competent to ride them, but I give you the horses, still beat you. You know, that that what would you call that attitude? Hockey. Yeah, that's extremely smart alecky. That's extremely arrogant. You say that because you think, oh, you've got them. Well, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Uh, oh, and what's the other main argument he uses in verse 25? God told me to come up here to destroy it. I'm doing what God said. God told me to come and destroy you. So this is God's will. What do you think about him saying that? Probably lie. Yeah, I'd say it is. But it sounds good. If you can just tell people, well, this is what God told me, or this is what God wants me to do, or whatever. Well, who wants to argue with God? You see that idea? <laughs> so... He's, he's covering all the bases. What does he really want to happen here? Surrender. Surrender. That's exactly what he wants. So he's trying to undermine any other source of confidence they have. He's trying to intimidate them. He's trying to scare them. He's trying to say, you can't possibly do any good. And what do the diplomats, the Jewish diplomats, say to these <coughs> diplomats? Quit talking so the people can understand. Yeah, talk in Aramaic. We know the diplomatic language. Don't let these guys understand you. Well, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> Rab Shaka takes advantage of it. He says, I'm, I'm going to talk to these guys. They're the guys that are going to have to suffer the brunt of this. They're the guys that are going to, you know, eat their own waste. Just to have something to eat. You know, he's just being really crude and intimidating. That, that's exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to destroy all other sources of confidence and make them feel like they don't have any choice but to give in. If it was going to be that easy to beat Jerusalem, why don't you just do it and quit talking? <laughs> you know the guy who keeps talking, uh, there's a reason why he wants you to give in. Okay. Uh, thoughts and comments through 27. <coughs> Twenty-eight to thirty-seven. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and cried out with a loud voice in Judean, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you from my hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me, and eat each of his vine, and eat and each of his fig tree, and drink each of the waters of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of, land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepherbaim, Henna, and Iba? Have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Among whom all the gods of this land have delivered their land from my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? But the, God, but the people were silent and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shimba the scribe of Joah, the son of Asaph the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So the Rabshakeh talks all the louder, and in a very fine Judea, and he wants to make sure all the people hear this. What's he hoping the people do? Switch sides. Yeah, he'd like for them to mutiny and force surrender. You know, I mean, he's just really trying to to get them scared to fight the Assyrians. And also, what's he trying to get them to think? Hezekiah is misleading them. Because if they give in, what would happen? Not much change. It'd be about as nice as it is now. Tell you what, it's you don't know how wonderful it'll be. First of all, if you'll give in, then you can all eat of your own vine and fig tree, drink of the waters of your own cistern. You can just sit back and relax in your own houses. Nothing'll happen until you know. You can't deny that they always exile the captives until I come and I am going to deliver you. You know into, uh, you know, a land that, just like your land, you'll love this captivity, it's awesome. This is a land of grain and wine, bread and vineyards, olive trees, honey. You'll, you, it'll be a wonderful captivity. You just got to try it. You know, it's almost like a vacation. You know, he can't really say they don't take captives, because everybody knows they do. But he p- puts a, 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 a nice paint job on it. You know, you just, you just, you really, you really think this is cool, you know. Uh, so he's really claiming that he's got the power to give them what God gave them. God was the one that brought him in the line of blood and milk and honey, and he says, "That's what I'll do for you." And then, what does he, what does he do to try to undermine their strength and their confidence? And what's his point? They're gods to me. They're gods. You look. You say the Lord will deliver you. Has any one of the gods of the nations delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? How about the gods of Hamath, of Arpad, of Sepharvah? He just goes through his whole list. Their gods do it. So, you know, first thing he says, you know, back in 25 is... God told me to. 
Now he says, oh, and God can't stop me. <laughs> Which is it? Did God tell him to, or can God not stop him? Whichever works. Yeah. I'd say liars need good memories. <laughs> you know, he ended up contradicting himself in this, but no matter. You know, he's just trying to intimidate them into surrendering. Does it work? They don't say anything to him and they come with their clothes torn and tell Hezekiah. So I'd say they've been successful in maintaining the loyalty of the nation. They have not surrendered. Uh, but, wow, you can see the stress that Hezekiah is <laughs> under. In this. Comments and thoughts? Good. You're quiet. 19, 1 to 7. When King Hezekiah 